When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome, everyone, to Positively Trek. We thank you so much for joining us. I'm Bruce Gibson, and with me, as, well, of course, he always is, is Dan Gunther. Dan, how are you? Hey, Bruce, doing well, and as always, excited to talk Trek this week. Me too. I've had such a great Trek past week going to Mission Chicago and meeting a bunch of our listeners, which was just so thrilling because you know when you talk into a microphone like this and we're just talking to each other you just assume people are listening you know (laughs) and then you get comments of course online you do see people online but then when actual flesh and blood comes up to you and says hey i listen to you guys show and 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 you can just interact and talk in real time it's just it's just great that's pretty thrilling. I, I would have loved to have been there uh, to experience that as well. I, I've had a few people come up to me in the past with regards to the YouTube channel and, and things like that, but uh, I obviously haven't been out to a Trek convention or anything like that since we started Positively Trek. So to see that reception of it and and know that people are listening and, and hopefully enjoying what we're doing here, that's thrilling. That's exciting. <laughs> well, there were also cases where I'd say I'd introduce myself and somebody would say, wait, you're on that uh, Positively Trek. You know, like you could tell they're not necessarily listeners, but they know that they're familiar with the podcast and that I'm on it. Then there were some that they wouldn't know who I was. And then I'd say, and in conversation, I'd say, Oh, I do positively track. Then all of a sudden, Oh yeah. You know, like they, now nice. I know who you are. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's really cool. cool. And just recognizing people, even from social media, not necessarily listeners to the show, but you know, just seeing faces in the crowd go, I know that person. I've seen them on Twitter, you know? <laughs> <That kind of laughs> stuff. Oh, very cool. I really miss that whole convention thing. So I'm going to a convention next weekend or this coming weekend, uh, not a Star Trek one, but the the Calgary Comic and Entertainment Expo. So uh, it'd be a, my first like dip of a toe in the convention world after all this lockdown and stuff. So Brent Spiner, John Delancey and William Shatner are kind of the, the Trek guests there, but there are others too. So Yeah, I think it was Brent Spiner was at a convention in Philadelphia at the same time. Because I was in the Picard panel and a friend of mine was messaging me saying that he was watching Brent Spiner on stage in Philadelphia. 
And I'm like, huh. shouldn't he be here? <laughs> yeah, come on, man. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, on today's show, we're going to cover some news items. And of course, we're also going to talk about the latest episode of Star Trek Picard, episode seven of season two, Monsters. And I'm looking forward to getting into that. But yeah, I just wanted to kind of give like just a quick rundown of Mission Chicago from my perspective. I mean, I thought Repop put together a really good convention. It wasn't quite like Star Wars Celebration, which I've been to. I haven't been to New York Comic Con yet. But um, so there wasn't anything like at Celebration where like this big opening stage and some big reveals going on and big announcements necessarily. Nothing quite like that. It was almost like the feel of Star Trek Las Vegas. You know, you have the different mm-hmm. panels and smaller rooms. You have the bigger room that you can go into where the bigger panels are going on. I, I would say one thing that I liked a little better about this than the one in Las Vegas was that where the vendors are in the, in the big hall, the exhibitors and vendors are there. But at the same time, there's little, you know, bars you know, drink stations you can go to. There's different little food carts. There's a stage in there that had its own things going on occasionally. Also in that Hmm. same room, there's a big, well, there was two walls of just autographs with big signs above them of all the different celebrities who were signing autographs. Um, There was displays for uh, Strange New Worlds and the skulls from Star Trek Picard that we saw earlier this season. But it was all there, you know? So mm-hmm. you're just not going, oh, let me go into the vendor's room. Okay, now let me go over to the whatever stage over here. Oh, let's go eat over in this other room or get something to drink. It's all there. So it was this big community aspect, which That's I That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, so really the only things that were going on outside of that would just be like the big uh, main stage, which is across the hall. And then there's... I think there's only two, maybe three, but two smaller stages right upstairs up the escalators. And that's where my book panel was, was in one of the smaller rooms. Of course, I was not on the main stage. <laughs> I can't believe that. I, I, I really giving you short shrift, I think, you know, the, the Star Trek book panel with John Jackson Miller and and Dayton Ward and and the other uh, wonderful personalities you had on that panel. They, you all deserve to be on the main stage. I think (laughs) I do too, but you know, we got to introduce strange new worlds, the new novel coming out uh, this November. I think, and I see, I can't even remember the date. I think it was November 6th, but um, we got to mention that by John Jackson Miller. He was on the panel. So yeah, there's a lot of of stuff going on. So we'll touch on some of these things. For example, like the teaser trailer for Lower Deck Season 3. So I did go to that panel, and so that was pretty cool to see that. So let's take a quick listen to Star Trek Lower Deck's teaser trailer. Captain Freeman, you're under arrest for the destruction of Pac-Led Planet. Hey, let let her go! That is for a tribunal to decide. You don't get it! She's your captain! But she's my mom. I have to do something before it's too late. It would be a logical not to. I don't care what trouble I get in. Same. I want the trouble. Give me the trouble. All right, let's save the day lower deck style. But we're grounded. Plus, we don't even know where the Cerritos is. I know where the Cerritos is. This is for the captain. Woo! We're doing it! We're... Are you stealing the Cerritos? Whoa, these graphics are mind-blowing! 
So there you go. Any thoughts about the trailer, Dan? Well, I mean, there's the the obvious Star Trek three vibes. They're they're going to steal the Cerritos. It seems anyway from the trailer to go rescue Captain Freeman. That's exciting. I you know the the visually the trailer was just kind of this slow push in on the Cerritos in the dry dock. Still with all the hull panels missing, of course, from the season finale. And uh, we don't see any of the characters, but we hear their voices talking over it. And I, I'm just so happy to hear those characters and know there's more lower decks on the way. And uh, Rutherford, you know, oh, the mind blowing graphics. <laughs> I just I love these guys. I can't wait to see more with them. <laughs> I just can't figure out what's going on with the Cerritos. It looks like it's gold plated, you know, it looks pretty cool. Well, yeah, like like I just said, they still have all the, the hull panels missing yeah. from the end of last season. That's how it looked at the end of the season. Remember, they removed all the hull panels so they were able to get to the Archimedes to rescue her. Yeah, I just so, wasn't sure if they were going to keep that look because I, I think it's kind of cool. <laughs> it does <laughs> look like kind of cool. I remember when they they first showed that last season. I remember thinking like, oh, they should release like a special Eagle Moss model of it looking like that. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> yes, that would be cool. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. We did get to see a clip of I think it was episode two of season three at the panel. We saw hmm. probably the first few minutes. It wasn't really so much a clip. I mean, we saw the cold opening. We heard the themes. You know, there was a scene with the uh, theme song. Because Mike McMahon wanted to listen to the theme song with everybody in the room together and, and applaud it at the end, all that stuff. But uh, And then that continued on. I was like, oh, my gosh, are we going to watch the whole episode? And then after <laughs> a couple of minutes, it stopped. Oh, that's exciting. That's cool. Yeah. I don't know if I should even really say anything. I'm sure there's stuff mentioned about it online, but I don't want to say it here in case somebody's like, oh, I don't want to hear what how the second episode starts. We haven't even seen the first of the season, you know? No, so, it's no very considerate, Bruce. Yeah, no real big spoilers, <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll avoid that. There, there isn't a whole lot to talk about on it anyway, <laughs> but because uh, we didn't see that much of it. But uh, so, yeah, going back to the panel of the books. So we did have John Jackson Miller and Dayton Ward as part of the panel. So that was kind of an interesting experience in itself, uh, working with Simon and & Schuster and CBS Licensing. And we were apparently given the green light to announce more than what we did, but things didn't come through. So we didn't have the cover to the strange new worlds book. So we had like a temporary image that we used uh, on the PowerPoint presentation. We were supposed to get the cover to David Max TOS book, but all those came out like within 12 to 24 <laughs> hours after the panel. <laughs> Oh, Simon and Schuster. Better late than never, as John Jackson Miller said in his post about the cover. <laughs> yeah, he was just like, why don't we have the cover? But then at the same time, he's like, well, it's a double whammy, right? We announce it and then later we announce the cover. You know, like he gets two for the price of one. So, yeah. But I'm excited about this book. It's, you know, the high country. I mentioned it on the last episode, of course, before I actually did the panel. <laughs> so, yeah, it's November 8th is when it comes out. The High mm -hmm. Country. 
Yeah, definitely excited for this, the the first Strange New Worlds novel, which, you know, honestly, I'm kind of embarrassed to say I hadn't even thought about before you mentioned that this would be announced on your panel and stuff. I was like, oh, of course, Strange New Worlds novels. How exciting. Uh, so, yeah, really cool. And we have the, the back cover blurb and everything for this, uh, including, like you say, the cover now. Oh, would you like to read that back cover blurb? I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> When an experimental shuttlecraft fails, Captain Christopher Pike suspects a mechanical malfunction, only to discover the very principles on which Starfleet bases its technology have simply stopped functioning. He and his crewmates are forced to abandon ship in a dangerous maneuver that scatters their party across the strangest new world they've ever encountered. First Officer Una finds herself fighting to survive an untamed wilderness where dangers lurk at every turn. Young cadet Nyota Uhura struggles in a volcanic wasteland where things are not as they seem. Science officer Spock is missing altogether, and Pike gets the chance to fulfill a childhood dream, to live the life of a cowboy in a world where the tools of the 23rd century are of no use. Yet even in the saddle, Pike is still very much a starship captain, with all the responsibilities that entails. Setting out to find his crewmates, he encounters a surprising face from his past, and discovers that one people's utopia might be someone else's purgatory. He must lead an exodus, or risk a calamity of galactic proportions that even starship Enterprise is powerless to stop. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it, it's interesting hearing that read because, you know, we've had Christopher Pike books, you know, we've reviewed them before. And if we didn't know this new series was coming, we would be like, oh, yeah, another Christopher Pike book, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, with with the surprise of the Cadet Uhura in the middle. Oh, inter oh okay. I didn't. Huh. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, when I was talking to John Jackson Miller off stage, he was talking about his Enterprise War book, part of the Star Trek Discovery brand. And he gave some names to some characters that he saw on the Enterprise bridge. And he seemed disappointed that none of those characters are carrying over to the new series. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's I mean, kind of too bad. I mean, I know the showrunners want to put their own stamp on things and create their own show, but I, I do kind of wish we saw some of those familiar faces from discovery. Uh, that said, I'm sure the, these new characters are exciting and amazing and I'm really excited to see the, the actors bring them to life on the screen and stuff. So, Me you know, too. mixed bag. <laughs> yeah. But okay. There's this other thing that happened and I messaged you while I was there and then I come to find out it's already been on the interwebs for like a day since I even seen this, but there was the strange new worlds display that had the costumes it had an enterprise model it had some artwork in there but there was also behind these displays and there were props too by the way but behind these displays were these poster boards of the characters which we had seen some of those released earlier online but these had the characters names on them and Mbenga and spock had first names which i thought mm -hmm. was so cool i was like oh cool and i'm like even spock Oh, that's that's interesting. But we know that he, you know, it was revealed in TOS. He had a first name, just wouldn't be able to pronounce it. And then like the next day, I just walk every day I would walk through it. And then one mm -hmm. day I just walked through and I'm like, wait, what happened to Spock's name? <laughs> what, <laughs> what happened to 
Mbenga's name. Like, what what's going on here? And I start to message you immediately. And then I saw online, oh, they removed it. What is, I, okay. I don't know what's going on there because who messed up on that? You know, like, where did these names come from? I mean, obviously we know that Mbenga's name came from Ishmael novel from 1985. But the person working on the poster, would they know that? <laughs> Is that where they got it from, you know? Oh, yeah. It, it, it's been re- revealed both of these names came from, from Star Trek literary universe. And I think that's a direct result of Dayton Ward working as a consultant with the show. Yeah, both both Spock's name and Mabenga's name come from the Star Trek novels. Um, and yeah, like I, I, I'm pretty sure that's that's because of Dayton Ward. That's my guess. You're going to blame it on him, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to credit him with that. I think that's a great deep cut. I, I love that they brought that into canon, I guess, supposedly. I don't know. We'll see if they're used on the show. Uh, I don't know if poster boards are canon, but that's cool. <laughs> well, they did say that they do have first names. It's just these were incorrect. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a bit strange too. Just you know, how does and like you said, it would make sense if Dayton Ward had given those names out to the writing staff and and someone used those for the poster boards, not knowing that they're not using or they are using the names or whatever. But I'm really hoping they do use the names. I hope they just for some weird reason decided they didn't want to reveal them, and then when we watch the show, well, there they are. <laughs> Like, you know, well, I'm interested to hear Spock's pronounced if we do hear it pronounced, because that was one that, you know, it's been in a lot of novels and I've just never really known how to pronounce it, which is makes sense because as Spock said to various people, it's unpronounceable or or you wouldn't be able to pronounce it kind of thing. So, hmm, interesting. Yes. Well, they they say that because they're moving so fast, they they made these errors. But then I also saw online people, which I didn't even notice. All the times I walked through, they just didn't notice. There's a little Enterprise streaking by the characters, but it looks like it's the Kelvin Universe Enterprise. And the whole time I walked through, I never looked at that close, but I'm like, oh my gosh, it is. Why are they using that? (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Ishmael, you mentioned, and that is the first time that Spock's name was used, this this name, apparently. Uh, and I think Mabenga's first name is from the Vanguard novels, I believe. The yes. Jabilo Mabenga. And again, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly either, but uh, again, it's been only in print, so I don't have the benefit of someone saying it. But Well, Dayton was on the book panel, and he mentioned it was from the Vanguard novels. Like, we right. actually discussed okay. it briefly on the panel, how names from the books sometimes end up on screen, like Una's name for yeah for uh, number one. And so, at that time, the names were still on the posters. And so, yeah, we were all like, yeah, hey, isn't this great? And then the next day, I'm like, what happened to them? (laughs) Yeah, very strange. I don't know what's going on there. (laughs) And if they have different first names, why didn't they post them? Like, I don't know. I just think think it's weird. I'm disappointed that we got names and then they went away. But I know some people didn't like Spock's first name to begin with. So I think there's a sigh of relief from others. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not going to jump in on that whole debate. I I always think it's cool when they take things from the novels. So it's weird that they say 
Spock and Mabenga do indeed have first names. They have yet to be revealed. I'm like, that's odd. I feel like they just kind of wanted to like not deal with this or something. I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. Or maybe they haven't, they're not revealed in the first season. They just haven't gone there yet. And then they use these names and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We haven't decided if we're actually going to use those, you know, maybe that's something. I don't know. Oh, well, we'll find out. This show's going to start soon in a couple of weeks. So I'm excited about that. But also I did watch before I went to Chicago, I did watch Star Trek, the motion picture director's edition on my TV. I don't have a 4k, but I watched it on Paramount plus and it is gorgeous. Dan, I don't know if you've got to see it because <laughs> I know it's not, I heard maybe it's on Paramount plus in Canada, but you're not a subscriber to that service. I'm not, no, and I, I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Um, I'm honestly kind of just, I, I, I know it's uh, it's of the moment and that sort of thing, but I'm honestly kind of okay with waiting till I get the disc and I'm going to have a nice night and put it in and I'm not going to worry about my internet acting up and having screwy issues with that. I'm going to watch it on 4K, Blu-ray, and 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 yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that, so... Uh, you know, a little disappointed that I haven't been able to see it yet, but at the same time, it's like, I'll see it and I'll see it on my terms and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> I, I think you're doing the right thing. Honestly. Yeah. I think if you can wait, yeah, wait and see it that way and not, oh, I have a crappy internet connection and then it stopped in the middle. Or yeah. Get it like that first time in true 4k on disc. Oh, it's going to be great. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can't wait. But, uh, but I, you know, I've seen bits, of course, in trailers and that sort of thing, and it looks absolutely gorgeous. I, I'm blown away with some of the work I've seen so far. So I, I watched it, and then I saw it again at Mission Chicago. I did go to that panel. I missed the very beginning of um, whoever uh, David Fien or whatever he was there. I like I didn't. I missed that part. I I got there a little late. I got there right when it was start the movie was starting so i did watch it there which was kind of fun especially when you know because you're watching with a bunch of star trek fans and the last time i've seen it like on a big screen in a theater was when the movie came out in 79 and i was a kid oh, wow. and i wasn't with a bunch of star trek fans i was with my family and the general public right you know but you're at a convention with star trek fans watching it and when scotty takes kirk in the shuttlecraft in the shuttle pod around the enterprise and that whole thing ends and everybody applauds. I'm like, Oh, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with my people. Yes. Oh, that would be so great. <laughs> yeah. There's one thing though. I really want to tell you about it and I'm not sure if I should or not. And I don't know, but and then I think, well, maybe Dan knows about it, but I don't, I don't know. It's something we discussed about it. And oh, go ahead. I'm okay with, I mean, I'm not worried about spoilers. If that. <laughs> so um, when I watched it here at home, at the very end, I was looking for the bands around their sleeves, Spock and McCoy's jacket sleeves to see if they corrected the colors. And they did. Really? Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm actually really surprised at that. That's amazing. Yep. They corrected the colors on that very last shot on their sleeves. Oh, wow. I'm impressed. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was watching and I kept thinking, like, you know, 
watch for the colors. Yeah, I'm making sure. And then boom, I was like, oh my gosh, because I remember you saying, I kind of want them to leave that alone, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it was always my favorite little like, ah, (laughs) I love little continuity errors and stuff like that. So, uh, but that's cool though. That's attention to detail. Nicely done. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the movie's coming to theaters in the US for a fandom event and that will be on May 2nd. I'm sorry, on May 22nd and May 25th, but they also added another date to it, and that's May 23rd. So now people in the U.S. have three times the chance to see this movie in the theater, or you could go all three times if you wanted to. That's cool. Yeah, May 23rd. I could, I could if I lived anywhere near there, take my mom to that for her birthday, which uh, would be fun because that was kind of one of the big ways she introduced me to Star Trek back in the day was – uh, bringing home a rented VHS copy of the motion pictures. So that'd be kind of a neat, uh, unfortunately, nowhere near me are any of these events happening. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if I'll go. Well, actually, now that I think about it, May 23rd is when my daughter graduates from high school. Oh, wow. I think it's on the 23rd. It's that week. It's it's a weekday. I know that. But uh, so, yeah, we have a lot of stuff going on that week. But I don't know. After seeing it home and after seeing it at Mission Chicago, I'm like, <laughs> Do I want to go see it again? I don't know. I think it'd be cool, but I don't know. We'll see. But The Wrath of Khan is returning to theaters, and its director's cut is coming. And that's going to be September 4th, 5th, and 8th. And that's presented by Paramount Pictures and Turner Classic Movies. So did I go to one? I think I did go to one when they did the fandom event. They did this before with uh, The Wrath of Khan. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I've then another film that uh, came out the year I was born, 1982. So everywhere that I'm seeing like Wrath of Khan turns 40 this year, I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, let's keep talking about that. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But uh, I've never seen it in the big on the big screen. I would love to do that as well. Yeah, I think it was this one I went to see because I remember they interviewed. There was an interview before the movie with William Shatner and then the movie started. So Hmm. That was, that was, I don't know how long ago that, maybe that was for the 35th anniversary or something or the 30th. I don't know. But anyway, that's coming. If if anybody wants to see on the big screen, check that out in September. Again, that is September 4th, 5th, and 8th. So, man, a lot of stuff going on. Now. Very cool. Last <laughs> thing we'll mention, because we got to get on to Picard here. <laughs> you know? But speaking of Picard, I, I just love this. Someone put together a TAS, the animated series style, like filmation style of Star Trek The Next Generation. And I think this is pitch perfect in every way. It is hilarious. It's terrific. Uh, And I know this has been all over the internet. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you've seen it. But if you've not seen this... You need to go check this out. We'll, of course, have a link in the 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 show notes as well. But yeah, pitch perfect. Chef's kiss. This is beautiful. The the moves, the style, the angles, everything they've recreated and taken a clip from a famous episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and done it completely in the filmation animated series style. Beautifully done. Wonderful work. Yeah, it's 
it's great. I mean, it's the music, the look, the feel, the the movements of the characters, like when Riker's running like towards the camera, just like the characters and from the that moment series. where Riker runs with the that <laughs> yes! style, so good. <laughs> There's so much stuff to that. I mean, when I was watching this, I was like, we've got to have this as a series. I mean, <laughs> why not just do at least one season of all new stories of the next generation in this style? I think it would be a hit. <laughs> I think so, too. It would be a lot of fun. <laughs> and the people would do this. It only took them a week to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just incredible what people can do and put online. I mean, sometimes I see stuff that people do and I'm like, man, why aren't the studios doing this? Or why didn't the studios do that better? That special effect better. Somebody at home did it better than the studios. (laughs) So that being said, let's, let's move away from the animated Picard and go to the more live action Picard. And we'll be right back with that after this brief pause. This episode of Positively Trek is brought to you by our wonderful supporters on Patreon, including our Constitution class supporters, Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, Carl Morris, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, Paul D. Kinnear, John Blaber, and Jesse Earle. Thank you all so much for your support of the Positively Trek podcast. If you would like to become a patron of the show, go to patreon.com slash positively trek. You can get early access to episodes, exclusive content, shout outs, associate producer credits, and more. Again, that's patreon.com slash positively trek. Thank you once again. And now let's get back to the show. What are you writing? Only that you're hopelessly bleak. I'm actually recommending that you be relieved of your command position immediately, lest you take the crew on a suicide mission just to feel something. (laughs) There are a thousand ways to die out there. What did you say? Come on, Trumpet. Dig deeper. Well, welcome back. You guys stuck around. We're so glad that you're still here. We're we're going to talk about Star Trek Picard. This is so awesome. Yeah, very excited. Thank you all for coming back, like Bruce said. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk Star Trek Picard, Season 2, Episode 7, the uh, aptly named Monsters. What a cool Star Trek title. Yes. So it starts off with him meeting with this psychiatrist who's in a Starfleet uniform, but it's in the early version of the star, of a Starfleet uniform, more of like what we saw. Yeah, not quite. Dan's going like, eh, kind of, but it's not quite the coloring and the style's just off a little different. And but it's got the com badge from the era of you know the to the TNG movies and Voyager that kind of stuff, and the uniforms kind of look like that. I'm trying to figure out is it supposed? I guess it's supposed to take place during that time period, right? I guess. I don't know. It it doesn't match any uniform we've seen before. It's kind of like the DS9 jumpsuit, but it's also got the stripe that the later uniforms have and the undershirt's different. And then there's these two weird black stripes yeah. at the top that we've never seen on any uniform, which I'm kind of okay with because this is a dream. This is in Picard's head, right? So, you know, it's everything's just not quite right. I feel like that might've been an intentional 
choice on their part to make it not quite match anything. And there's a couple other things in this whole sequence that I think lend to the towards the idea of this being a made up thing and and not completely true to life. So uh, yeah, I, I think it's cool. I don't think it necessarily is any specific uniform that actually ever existed. Nevertheless, I expect to see some cosplayers out there with it because, hey, it's another one. It looks cool. I yeah. like it. No, I, I like the look. I, I liked it kind of gave me those DS9 vibes and Voyager vibes. And it, didn't he say he was in his ready room, that Picard was in his ready room meeting with him? That's the other thing. Yeah, that's the other thing I was going to mention is uh, he mentions later that this takes place in his ready room. But again, it's not it doesn't look like the ready room on the Enterprise D and it doesn't look quite like the ready room on the Enterprise E. But a lot of the objects in the room are ones that we've seen in both of those locations. So that, again, I think is just a little bit of like, oh, it's weird. It's like, you know, you've had those dreams, right, where you're like, oh, I was in my house. But then you think about the details and you're like, well, I mean, it wasn't quite right. But in the dream, I was like, oh, this is my house. But it, you know, it just didn't quite fit the reality of it. I think that's kind of in one way it lets them get away with not having to completely recreate a set that would be difficult to do. And it adds to the unreality of what's going on. So yeah, that's kind of how I think they're, they're doing it here. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause I do recall like saying to my wife and kids every once in a while where I'll have a dream. I'll say, Oh, I had this weird dream last night. So we were all home, but it didn't look like our house, but it was our house, but it wasn't didn't look like it. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what it was. So yeah, I can see that for sure. But uh yeah, I I I so that was kind of fun seeing that uniform and and trying to think what's going on, who's this guy? I kept wondering if he was and I can't remember the name, but one of the um counselors from the novels. Wasn't it the Titan novel where or was oh. it the Enterprise novels where the guy was kind of a jerk? Well, I I'm not I don't remember from Enterprise or Titan, but my mind went to Counselor Hugh Cambridge from the Voyager relaunch novels. That's who I'm thinking of. Yes. Oh, okay. This was just a particular weird moment for me because Counselor Hugh Cambridge from those novels was kind of based on Dr. House from the, the TV series House, but a British version of him which meant that a lot of people pictured Hugh Laurie playing him because that's who played House. And Hugh Laurie is actually also British. So so they just kind of took the Hugh Laurie's real voice and applied it to uh, Counselor Hugh Cambridge. For whatever reason, every time I read those novels, my brain automatically cast James Callis from Battlestar Galactica oh. as Dr. Hugh Cambridge. Then this episode comes along and James Callis plays this counselor and my brain was seriously like turning over in my skull. Like, what is going on here? This was like straight out of my imaginings. And he's kind of not quite as gruff as Hugh Cambridge, but like there's that moment where he says, well, I'm supposed to be here for a whole hour. So I don't know. What do you want to do? Like, I just kind of had a bit of that attitude right so my brain is going this is so weird like i imagined 
this man in this kind of a role like a decade ago or more and now he's playing it and i was seriously like is there something wrong with the space-time continuum what has happened (laughs) it was such a weird coincidence and i love it yeah it was the voyager novels it was like for a moment when i saw i was like oh he's like that counselor from and i was like oh gosh which series of books was it titan was it voyager was it the i can't remember first (laughs) and yeah it was from voyager which now I'm starting to wonder, well, Kirsten Beyer is involved in this show. Could she have nudged them and said, hey, I had this character in my books. I think it'd be, it was a fun character to play a counselor. Why don't we just do something like that with this character, you know? Could be. Yeah, that yeah, could be. Um, we, of course, later get the reveal of, of who this really is. Right. Which I'm a little annoyed at. And I know... Um, just just with one aspect of how it was presented to me on on the show because uh, I turned the captions on because I like to turn those on in case, you know, just to catch everything. And for whatever reason, the way the captions were done on Crave, they're different from the ones that they do on Paramount Plus, and I'm assuming different from the ones that we see on Amazon Prime in other countries. But the convention is when a character's not on screen and they're talking, you see their name beside whatever they're saying. And so I had the the captions on and it said, Maurice, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, Maurice? Well, that's weird. That's Picard's dad's name. Huh. So that was kind of spoiled for me very early on. Like I didn't know for sure it was Picard's dad, but that was obviously definitely in my head watching the whole episode. So that reveal at the end, I was like, oh yeah, okay. I, yeah, I saw that coming because the darn captions said his name was Maurice right at the beginning. So that was, that was unfortunate, but that's unfortunate. (laughs) That sucks. (laughs) Cause I'm trying to think while I was watching it at one point, did I start to figure out this was his, I don't think it was, I knew until it was really revealed. When, yeah. yeah, and I kind of wish I had that experience, but the whole time I'm thinking like, okay, how is this going to relate to his dad? Is that his dad? I don't, mm, that's weird. So, so. Let, let me ask you this. How do you feel about that character being his dad? I thought that was a, it makes a lot of sense. I thought it was a great reveal. And uh, James Callis plays Picard's dad. That's, I don't know. I just, I love, I love the, uh, the Ronald D. Moore Battlestar Galactica and James Callis's performance in that role of Baltar in that series is so terrific. So I'm just thrilled to have him as a part of Star Trek and as such an important character too, I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I did too. I, I didn't see it coming. And then when it was revealed, I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. That, okay, so that maybe that's why this counselor is a little rough and kind of ticking off Jean-Luc because he doesn't have a good relationship with his dad. But, I mean, we're just going to go right into it because, I mean, we've, we're spoiling this already and we assume everybody's watched it. But when yeah. that whole thing happened then with his mom behind the door and you start to realize, oh, the problem wasn't really so much his dad. The problem was with his mom. Mm-hmm. That was, I, I, I thought that was really good. I, I mean, I hate that for Jean-Luc that his mother has these issues, but you know, but then I'm sorry, I am jumping over the place. I can't help it. Now the key that he gets the key out 
and even Talon's like, oh, this isn't over. And then it ends there. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I got to see more. Yeah. Yeah. This was definitely by far my favorite part of this episode. And we'll get to some of the other stuff later. But this whole thing in Picard's head was really fascinating to me. And I, and I, I really like that the character of Maurice Picard is redeemed a little bit in this episode. You know, there was kind of the implication that there was domestic violence and physical abuse. And we see that, you know, through the lens of a young mind, those memories are misinterpreted or not realized to be what was really going on. I don't think Maurice gets completely off the hook here. I think he was still abusive in that he was emotionally abusive Mm -hmm. to Jean-Luc and possibly his wife as well. Uh, But, you know, he, as we know from TNG and the history that Picard has had with his father, they weren't close and they had a very strained relationship, but I'm glad that it turns out that there was no, physical abuse involved uh as picard had had thought there was or feared there was or something like that so i i like that little bit of a rehabilitation of his character here but yeah obviously as you say there's a lot more to this story and and picard talks about his secret shame that uh is connected to this so definitely more to come also tell in in this whole thing i just love her role is this like stalwart fearless protector of the young Jean-Luc as they're going through his his mind and his memories and stuff she's such a great character Orla Brady I'm absolutely in love with her <laughs> yeah I love how she gets there and she's looking for him through the tunnels and you even hear the cutest of Borg you know you hear his voice of that and these things echoing ah four <laughs> yeah, you hear like all of that happening. Yes. <laughs> oh, that was, yeah. And he's stuck, right? You know, he's stuck. I mean, literally his foot is stuck in, in those boards that his foot fell through. But that's the whole thing about this is Picard is stuck in this moment, in this time. And he can't move forward. And she's there to help guide him. And, and he's just resisting, like, you know, doesn't you know, what if it turns bad? It's always bad. And she's like, you don't know unless you look, you know, you have to move forward. And it is just so great to just see her with this, this child, you know, who's the prince and he's got his crown and he's looking for his mom and all this stuff. And she's there to help guide him. And they're dealing with the monsters and they grab them in the dark and all these things. Yeah. I love this character, this actress and everything. It's just yeah, so good. Absolutely. And the, the idea that, the demons that his mother was facing manifest themselves in Picard's mind as literal monsters, Mm -hmm. you know, and and the fallibility of memory and the fact that his brain created that imagery based on what he was seeing happen to his mother, I think says a lot about human psychology and and what we go through and, and what our brains do to, make sense of the world around us. I think there's a lot of interesting things going on in this whole part of the episode. Yeah, because she was so much about storytelling and telling these fantasies. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, they make this imprint on his mind as a child and they start to, in a sense, become real or confuse them with reality. And, you know, it's just, it's so good. And especially when they're in that greenhouse and, you know, things kind of explode as they're running and they close the doors. I was like, okay, this 
this doesn't feel quite right. This feels like it's not real. Like it is a dream, you know, it's not a flashback. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And then when they went down to those corridors and you see those torches, I'm like, they wouldn't have torches with fire burning them all the time. Like something weird is going on down here, you know? Oh my gosh. It was just so good. And then that whole line about, you know, there's no better teacher than one's enemy, which comes into play later. I was yeah. like that too. Absolutely. Yeah. Lots of really interesting stuff with, with this part of the episode for sure. So I, I was digging that. I, and it's a Trek trope almost at this point, you know, the, the character who enters the mind of another character to bring them out of something like we've seen that so many times, but uh, I, I liked that it was a little different this time, right? We've got the two levels of the reality where Picard's telling this story. And then when Talin enters his mind, she's in the story part of it and stuff. It was interesting that they're, they kind of had something different to do with it here. So, yeah, I, I agree. And let's, let's like move on. We'll, we'll talk, I guess, a little more about them or about Picard and Talon as, as we go through this, but Let's talk about Seven and Raffi looking for Girardi or the Borg Queen, the new Borg Queen. You know, it's so funny to me that scene that starts off with Raffi just going off about, you know, wait, Rios and, and Girardi kissed like I like she's got this whole issue with them. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> if that's happening again, I'm out. I'm leaving the gang. <laughs> <laughs> And so it's like, well, what about, we're the main event. They're the side story. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. I loved that. That, that bit of dialogue really made me laugh. I thought that was awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And then they're just like, you know, trying to get, you know, the ship to work, but oh wait, it looks like it's been encrypted by the Borg or something like what's going on. And I love the fact that we actually have security cameras. This is something that I've often wondered sometimes in Star Trek where they're like, oh, so-and-so was kidnapped on the ship of the Enterprise or whatever. I'm like, wouldn't you have security cameras in the corridors and look to see who who did that? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And they actually see Girardi actually coding the Borg codes into the computer system. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But there isn't like a whole lot going on with with these two. I mean, they're going to go find Girardi, but they do find her going into that bar. Now, isn't that uh, Patrick Stewart's wife singing in the club? Yes, Sonny Ozell is the singer in the club. So uh, that was that was wonderful. And I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not being mean. I I, th- I think that's it's it's totally justified, and and that's fine. Uh, when you're the producer of the show that you work on and the main talent, you can get your wife a gig uh, on on the show, and but. Well-deserved. Like, she's an incredible singer. I thought that was really great. I really enjoyed seeing her here, um, that she got to kind of be featured a little bit in the episode. So it's it's like every episode has had a piece of, like, contemporary music in it at some point, which is interesting. And, yeah, here we have Sunny Ozell singing one of her songs at this bar. So that was great. I thought that was terrific. Okay, you just said about contemporary music. That just made me worry. Okay, so little side tangent here. You know, I'm still doing my DS9 rewatch, okay? And the last time you and I spoke, 
you said, oh, where are you? And I said, and I looked real quick and I was like, oh, I've just got the last episode of season one to watch. And then I saw on Twitter that duet, which is the second last episode, wasn't showing up on Paramount Plus. And they and Paramount Plus had said because it was due to music rights. And I thought, what music rights would be in that episode that they would have the right to? Like, doesn't make sense. Well, whatever. There was some confusion. Whatever it is, they got it on. So then I realized. Because yeah, I saw a later tweet where they're like, whoops, there was a miscommunication or something and yeah. it's back on. So they must have just messed up. Yeah, they that. just messed <laughs> up. But then I watched it actually. Then actually, I was like, oh, well, that's actually where I end, which is so weird to think that I was right at that point and the episode was gone. So I'm already on to season two. But I thought, well, yeah, music rights shouldn't have been an issue because they don't really use anything contemporary. Now I'm worried about these episodes. <laughs> what if they disappear <laughs> one day because of music rights? Oh, I hope not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she could sing. Whatever. I mean, it wasn't like I'm watching that going like, where did they get this lady? <laughs> you know, she was fine. So, yeah, no, she's a she's a professional singer. So right. it was great. Yeah. Right. It's not like he took like his wife who doesn't sing and they like, put her in the thing because he wants it like it would just want to work. But because she's a singer, it works. It's perfectly fine. But I like how how Girardi goes to the window and I'm like, what is she going to do? And the bartender's yelling, like, get away from there. And she just busts the, the glass and just turns around. I'm like, what was the point in that? <laughs> you know, and it wasn't mm-hmm. revealed till later. Rafi and Seven arrive and show because of the security cameras right they can tap into that they see that it's the endorphins you know she's trying to get things moving faster so she can take over Girardi's body fully and now they're like oh my gosh we may just have ruined the future by bringing the Borg Queen to the past yep the the Borg Queen running around Los Angeles in the 21st century not good yeah, that, that's kind of all we get about Gerardi in this episode. It's very short, but I'm assuming to be continued very much in the next episode. I, th- I feel like that's going to be a focus because, yeah, that needs to be dealt with very quickly. <laughs> well, Gerardi didn't have a single line, right? She never said a word. No. I hope, I hope, I hope the actress got paid for it, at least. Come on. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure she did. <laughs> yeah. So I really like these characters. I love Rios and Teresa and even Ricardo and, and just you know their interaction and how she's just like, you know, the door's locked and she's like, you know, tells her son to put his helmet thing down because he, she's going to use some foul language. He goes, she, and then when she does in Spanish, she's just like, you didn't even use the good words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really enjoy these three characters together and yeah, Rios and, and Teresa, there's, there's obvious that huge crush going on there and stuff. And, all that's going on. I think some of the things that happen with this story later on, I have a huge issue with and, and we'll get there. But... Oh no, you can't drop a bomb like that. I have to know now. What do you have a huge issue with? Oh, we'll, we'll get there. But I, I want to talk about just okay. like them together and stuff. Ricardo, I really enjoy and, and with his spacesuit and stuff and Rios drawing a picture of La Serena, which I guess isn't timeline breaking, but like, dude, be a little careful here. Like you're getting a little, but later on in the episode when, okay. So first of all, actually before the really big one, there's the, where he gets the, the medical instrument from La Serena 
right. and hands it to Teresa to use on Picard, which makes no sense to me. Like, just because she's a doctor, she's not going to know how to use this device. That scene just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, I didn't understand why he did that. Like, there's the theme of, like, I trust you and that sort of stuff. But it's still, it didn't make sense. It's It's like, I don't know. It was like... It's like taking a, a doctor from the 17th century and putting them in front of an MRI and saying, I want you to use the MRI on the on the patient. Yeah. Like, no, what? No, that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. But, like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I had the same thoughts. Yeah. Once he gets the neural isolator, he's just like, you know, oh, here, go ahead. You know, it, go. Ahead. And I'm like, how how? would she know even what to do with this thing? And she holds yeah. it up to his head and just turns off. I'm like, how does she know she's not to put it on his head or whatever? Like, or like jam one of the prongs in his ear or like, who yeah. knows? Right. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> and he would obviously have a better idea of maybe how it's supposed to be used. But when he just hands it to her and says, go ahead, use it. Yeah. I was kind of like, what? How does she even know what to do? Yeah. No, that was strange. The big thing that I have a problem with with this episode uh, with regards to Rios here is at the end of the episode where he brings Teresa and Ricardo to La Serena, which does not make sense to me at all. Like this is huge temporal prime directive breaking. He's a captain in Starfleet. Like he should know better than this. And this is something similar to what I said in the live show that we did with Brandy, which is I I have no problem with the broad strokes of the episode. I like like the, the, the way things are going and, and the development of things. And I think Rios bringing Teresa and Ricardo to La Serena is interesting and is the potential for lots of cool stuff further in the season. But what had happened up to that point didn't justify it. Like, there was more that could have been done to protect the timeline at that point, rather than beaming them to La Serena. It just seemed really out of left field and really irresponsible of Rios. Like Jillian Taylor was beamed aboard the Klingon bird of prey in Star Trek four. But at that point she had discovered the ship. There was like, okay, this is the last thing we can do here. But at this point, I don't think that was quite an issue with Teresa and Ricardo that said the line I'm going to go touch everything is wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to bring that one up. Yeah. (laughs) I love that line. That's exactly how I would have been if I was a kid in that situation. And I mean, I'm sure they're going to do some interesting things with it, but I'm just like the, the action at this point seemed out of character, you know, like it, they hadn't earned that yet. I don't think. I think there's there's a reason to bring them aboard the ship. I don't think what had happened up to that point justified it yet. It just made no sense to me. And and both of us, Nikki and I watching the TV at this time, were going like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Stop it. You're screwing up the timeline. <laughs> well, see, I it didn't bother me because I, I feel he, you know, he's in love with her, you know, or in infatuated whatever it is and he feels this bond with her and her son and you can see just like you said he's drawing his ship on the wall he's revealed that instrument for her to use i mean he's already kind of revealing to this 
person that he's thinks he's in love with kind of who he is and i took it as meaning like you know what i need this mo i i need you know they feel like like my family right now and i just want to show them really who i am and where i'm from but yes it messes up the timeline so irresponsible but wasn't the episode where Girardi said something about they were going to wipe the memories, the recent memories from the cop that boarded the ship. I took that to mean like I was, I don't know, for one reason or another, I was thinking, oh, Rios is being with them on. He wants to show them who he is, but he's going to wipe their memory like in the next episode or something. Yeah. And I mean, if if that's his thinking, that almost makes it worse to me. Like, what right do you have to manipulate someone like that then? Like, okay, I've seen someone online saying he's bringing them to La Serena to wipe their memories. It's like, okay, that I can kind of get behind. But if he's bringing them to La Serena because he's feeling like he has feelings for her and, and wants to have like this family moment and stuff and is just going to wipe her memory anyway, that's such a, that's an invasion. Like that's abusive almost. Like that almost seems worse to me. Like what right do you have to go to pluck somebody out of their life because you want to feel happy for a few minutes, but it won't matter because I'm going to wipe their memory of it anyway. Like, that sounds horrible. I don't like that at all. I don't know. I, I mean, I kind of think it's both. I, I think that he knows, I mean, she's already seen this device beamed on, you know, and she already knows something. And yeah, I think he knows that he has to wipe their memories. And so it's like, well, if their memories are going to be wiped out, like, let's have this moment where they can actually, yeah, touch everything. Let's, you know, have this experience <laughs> before, you know, we have to do this. And I don't know. I just... I just felt like it was his way of just giving them a moment, even though they'll never remember it, they'll, they'll have the moment, you know? Yeah, I suppose. I just, it just felt irresponsible to me, but yeah, it, it just, it seemed out of left field because I don't know, it, it didn't feel justified to me. Well, these people do a lot of things that are always justified in the show, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of. It's some of the problems people have with the show. You know, sometimes I do too. I just kind of, I guess, have to roll with it, you know? It's just a little different. But let's talk about something. Let's see if this is justified. Well, we see that Talon actually reveals herself to be Romulan. She shows her ear is a Romulan. Did you, we kind of talked about this in previous episodes. Is there some relation she has with Romulan? Whatever. Was this a surprise to you? Not really, especially since, like, as had kind of been revealed in the episode, the device she's using yep. is meant to go over her ear. Yep. <laughs> and there's a big point on it. It's like, okay, so it's going over a a Vulcan or a Romulan ear. Um, but yeah, no, it's, this kind of made sense. And of course, there's the Star Trek trope that ancestors look like descendants because they're played by the same actors, of course, which... I guess if if that's what they're doing to explain all of this, okay, that makes sense. All right. I was kind of expecting maybe some other weird connection, but I'm okay with this. This makes sense. So, yeah, no big issues with that and not really a huge surprise. It was just kind of like, oh, I thought there'd be a little bit more to it than that, but okay, 
cool. I can go with that. <laughs> when you were just saying about ancestors looking just like, you know, I was thinking about how, well, yeah, uh, Talon looks just like Laris, and all the Soons look just like each other, yet mm -hmm. Guinan doesn't look quite exactly like Guinan. <laughs> it's the same person. What's going on here? <laughs> that's funny. I hadn't thought of that, but that's great. <laughs> but yeah, Talon is a Romulan. I was like, I was pleasantly, I don't want to say surprised. That's the wrong thing. I was just, I, I was just pleased in a lot of ways to see that. I was like, cause like you said, the earpiece she was wearing, I was like, okay, we also heard her say a Romulan word in a previous episode. So I was like, mm -hmm. there's some Romulan connection here. Then she reveals the ear. And then I felt like Picard going, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm curious. Let's get here towards the end with Picard visiting Guinan to summon Q. I have no idea what your thoughts are about this. See, I love the fact that I don't always tune into the live show because I don't want to know what you're thinking. <laughs> Oh, and so I'm just very curious because I have to tell you, the first time I watched it, I kind of liked the scene, but I watched it a second time and I liked it more. So I like. Oh, interesting. Part. Yeah. So I want to hear what you have okay. to say. Well, I've just watched it the one time. Uh, <laughs> and, okay. There's a lot that I like. And again, this kind of goes back to what I was saying about Rios and La Serena. I like the broad strokes. I like the, the overall where this is going, but some of the, like the smaller details are kind of weird to me. And I'm like, that, that's an odd choice. But so the idea that the Elorians and the Q fought a cold war between the two of them. I love that. I think that's really great. We know that there's more to the Elorians and more to Guinan than we've seen. I mean, the season two TNG episode, Q Who, Q is obviously afraid of Guinan on some level. And she does the that hand thing yeah. that we see this version of Guinan do again in this episode when she thinks Q is coming down the stairs. I, yeah, I, I love that idea that that there's something more here. I think Q calls her an imp in that episode and stuff. Like there's, there's more than meets the eye here. That's cool. I love that. The, um, the idea of when an Elorian summons a Q, a Q appears. I think that's really cool. I, I love that. The way that they summon Q by using the bottle over which the peace treaty was signed or whatever, interesting but it doesn't like why does she have that bottle there <laughs> right. like there's just some of the little details i'm like this doesn't make a ton of sense to me and i mean maybe it's not meant to maybe i'm a lowly mortal living on this one little planet who's not supposed to understand the the dealings of gods or whatever but it just seemed very odd to me and very convenient that she had that bottle there that I I feel like that could have used, and I mean, I, I hate to be one of those people that's like, oh, I criticize the writing and stuff, but I feel like that could have used another pass. Like, let's, let's think more of how this might happen, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm not the one writing the episode, but that, that seemed odd to me, but I, uh, yeah, the, the overall broad strokes I really like, but the small details took me out of the episode in a way that made me go like, does this make sense? I don't know. I don't think it does, but maybe it does. I, you know, so yeah. 
I had the same thought about the bottle. I'm like, well, why does she have this bottle? Like, why does she have the bottle on earth in a bar? <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> um, and, you know, it really does make sense for writing to give you the information without you trying to make it work. But, you know, I do kind of have fun in a lot of ways trying to make things work. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe this treaty was, or the truce was captured in a bottle, but maybe it was captured in multiple bottles. And so there's, <laughs> it's like, it's like when they sign a treaty with the president or whatever, and he has like 13 pens and he has to, right. because they have to give the pens to all the people who are at the summit or whatever. They yeah. just have all these collector bottles from the Q Elorian peace treaty signing or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, not quite exactly like that, but yeah, I mean, the idea of, <laughs> you know, not holding it all in just a single bottle, because what if something happened that's captured in multiples and she has one of them? And so, you know, that's how I work it out. But in a lot of ways, she could have said something like, you know, the truce was carried in, bottle, in multiple bottles and I have one of them here. You know, it could have been just a simple line like that which then be like okay for whatever reason she's guarding one of the many bottles or whatever but now when yeah. that guy shows up to the bar my wife when watching it with her the second time i'm watching it she's like oh it's a new cue and i have to admit when i watched it i thought oh this is a this is a different cue that's just walked in did you think that or did you not initially yeah until i saw who the actor was and i was like oh but yeah, initially I was like, oh, is this another cue? Um, also, <laughs> I had a funny thought watching this episode because we've noticed that Q in previous episodes uh, has lost his power, or at least it's very diminished or something. So I had this image of like Guinan doing this thing to summon Q, and Q's like on the other side of Los Angeles or something, and he's like, oh, oh, I've, I've, I've got to go there. Oh no, nothing's happened. So right now, Q is just like sitting on the crosstown bus trying to make his transfer to be able to get to there. <laughs> That's why he, he's like, ah, oh, I've been summoned. I got to show up, but I can't just appear there. I've got to, I've got to take this ridiculous public transport. <laughs> see, this is where I wish they had short treks because I'd love to see the short trek of Q realizing that he can't get to Guinan when he's summoned. So we see how he's trying to get there and he's using every public transportation or every tried means to get there. And it's a whole experience. <laughs> yep. He's sitting on the bus right now. Kirk Thatcher has his boom box playing that song and he's just going, Oh, I hate this guy. And I hate this song <laughs> and I can't do anything about it. Um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of my funny thought with regards to that. But yeah, this other guy, I did briefly for a few seconds think he was Q until I noticed the actor and, and the implications of that. Wait, I don't know that. Now, this. Oh. What, what do you mean, the actor? Just tell me about that. Okay, I recognize so, him, though. Yeah, he's played a character in Star Trek Voyager yeah. already. Lieutenant Duquesne of the USS Relativity, one of the time cops from the 29th century. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Oh, I didn't even connect. Like, I knew I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen him in Star Trek before, but I didn't. Oh, 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 yeah. Keep talking, Dan. So now I'm like, is he playing that same character or not? And I, I hope he is because it makes sense. I bet he is. I really hope so. I, yeah, 
I don't know. It's interesting casting if, if, if not, but if he is like, they've combed his hair in the same way that Duquesne's hair was combed in that episode. And like, it makes sense. Also the character's name is apparently agent Martin Wells. Now the USS relativity was a Wells class starship named of course for HG Wells, right. the, you know, and his first name is Martin. So his, his name is Marty. Marty Wells. He's got to be a time traveler. I'm convinced. I'm right? convinced that's who he is. Yes, you're right. I'm convinced. A hundred percent. I really hope much, he is. There's too much coincidence. Uh, Wells and the ship he was at Wells and his home hairs come the same. Yeah. I mean, come on. It makes yeah. sense because, you know, how are they going to get out of this mess? Right. Yeah, it's like, okay. Cause I mean, I saw a brief preview of next week, but you know, Picard and Guinan are behind, you know, in the police station or whatever. And they're being questioned, like, how are they going to get out of it? Unless the cop is really from the future. Yeah. You know, I, ah, I really hope so. Uh, yeah. I mean, hmm. Wells, it's gotta be right. It anyway, has to be. Jake Harnes is the actor's name. I should say here as well. Yeah. So why bring him back? If you're not in a story about time travel, if you're not right. Well, and then it could just be a coincidence, you know, he it could be. auditioned, yeah. he got the part, he's there on set, he says, oh, I was in a previous episode, of, you know, in Voyager, or whatever, then they go, oh, yeah, you know, da-da-da, and then they go, oh, wouldn't it be funny, we just name him Wells, because that was the name of the ship he was on in the previous episode, and it has no connection whatsoever outside of that. I'll be honest, I'll be a little mad, if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, no, I think you're right. I, I I think you're right. I'm I'm gonna be disappointed now too if it doesn't happen. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Ugh. Now I'm sweating. Ugh, that was good. Okay. Great way to end. <laughs> I've got nothing more to say about this episode unless you do. Uh I don't think so. I think uh the best parts of this episode were really good and the the other parts really frustrate me, but I hope they they they're justified in later episodes. I don't know. I, I have really mixed feelings about this one because I think some of the best stuff in this season is in this episode and some of the most frustrating stuff in this season is in this episode. So I'm I'm right down the middle on this one. <laughs> so I would uh, – I wasn't really frustrated. I mean, yeah, there was the little things like why is Rios giving Teresa the device? You know, how is she supposed to know how to use that? That was probably the only thing that was just – kind of like okay that was a little that's a little odd to me everything else i was pretty much okay with again him beaming them over was fine for me but uh yeah i can't think of anything that i didn't like it wasn't like oh the best episode i've ever seen of star trek either i just enjoyed it so i'm gonna go ahead and rate it and give it well I'll, i will say this i love the reveal going back to picard's storyline was my favorite. And like you said, the best scenes I think was the reveal of his father and, and you know, everything that's going on in Picard's head, I think was the best part of the episode. So I would give this episode, mm, I, I don't know. I always say, I always feel like I'm saying four out of five on stuff all the time, you know, <laughs> but I almost, I almost want to go there and say four out of five bottles that some other Lorian has somewhere i don't know nice yeah i'm gonna oh i'm gonna go right down the middle on this one like i said i'm gonna have to give it 
2.5 out of 5 queues trying to get to 10 forward via public transit in LA. <laughs> wow. I really thought you were going to give it a 3. 2.5. I was thinking 3, but it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things where when I watch something, it's like something about it might bug me, but then I forget about it a couple days later and it's fine. But the things in this episode that bugged me have been bugging me for like every day since I've watched it. I'm like, I've got to watch it again because that's bugging me. That's really bugging me. But the things that I loved in the episode, I really loved. So it, it balances out in in a weird way. It's like right down the middle. I love James Callis in this too. So maybe a three, I don't know. Yeah. Let's bump it up to a three, I guess. Yeah. The good outweighs the bad a little bit, a little bit. (laughs) Well, it's like last week on the live show, when I came in towards the end, I did hear you and Brandy talking and you were saying, which you didn't say on this show, because I think I heard you say the more you started thinking about it was about how did they get Picard to the medical center, to Mm. the clinic. And that That did bug me. Yeah. And I thought, well, I thought to, again, like we shouldn't have to necessarily fill it in blanks, but I'm like, well, they could have either beamed him there or, but then I thought there'd be too many witnesses around me yeah. and stuff. But then um, if you look, li- I could swore the last time I saw the episode in the background when Picard's laying there like, oh, we got to get him somewhere. I feel like in the distance you hear like an ambulance siren. I don't mm. know how one would be there that quick, but. They could have just put him on an ambulance and told the ambulance to take him to that clinic. Because I asked my wife just last night about it. I said, because she's in the medical field, I said, if an if I fell down the street and an ambulance came, can I tell that ambulance where to go? And she said, yeah. She said, if you do, if you want to go to such and such, you can tell it where to go. And I thought, okay, well, maybe they got and they said, take him. He doesn't have insurance. We need to take him to such and such clinic. And they got Teresa on the phone to say, yeah, bring him here. Okay. All right. Yeah, you got to fill in the blanks, right? (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Man, I was just thinking about that last night. So, So Dan, (laughs) when people can't find an ambulance, where can they find you? Well, I hope they're not looking for me if they need an ambulance, (laughs) but you can uh, tweet to me on Twitter at Kurtrats, that's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S, youtube.com slash Kurtrats Productions, where, as I said, Brandy and I do that live show uh, almost every week. Sometimes we miss a week because of of life getting in the way, but uh, yeah, usually you'll find us there. And of course, in the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook, where we talk about all the episodes of Picard, as well as anything and everything to do with Star Trek. And I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. And I'm on a recent episode of Literary Treks. And of course, we have our Goodreads group. And so I'm in there. So check out for the latest books that we're going to cover on our book clubs episodes. And also... Email us, PositivelyTrek at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PositivelyTrek. And look for our Facebook group, our discussion group, and we'll let you in there because that's where Dan and I love to hang out. And uh, that's just about it. And we just want to thank our patrons on Patreon for all of your support. And thank you to you, the listeners, for just tuning in and having fun with us because that's what Star Trek's all about. You're here. So open those bottles and start to scream. And while you do that, just stay positive.
Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.